You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, guest pastor Stephen Carr walks us through a series of lessons from the story of Jesus walking on the water. God is good. It's good to be here with you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I love worshiping with y'all. Worship is something the older I get, the more I love to worship. And uh, I just don't uh, understand the, the concept of, you know, when you become a Christian, you get excited about Jesus. And then when you mature, you don't enjoy him as much. I'm thinking the more you know him, the more you enjoy him. He is an incredible God, uh, the only God who loves us. And so I love worshiping. I think it's practice for heaven. I think heaven's going to be an incredible worship service. And when Jesus, the word steps out and preaches... No one will yawn. <laughs> no one will be uh, drifting uh, to hear the word preach the word. Amen? It'll be exciting. So it is great to be here with y'all today. I have a challenge. I want to talk about Jesus walking on the water. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Um, my challenge is this. I want to share with you about Bruce Outreach Center. That's why I'm, why I'm here. Um, uh, Joe did not bring me here for my great um, exegetic study and my profound preaching. I'm not your theologian here. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm here to share with you about the mission work. But, guys, I tell you, I'm a preacher at heart. I love preaching the word. I love preaching the gospel. And, and I just can't come up here and just share with you all about Bruce Outreach Center and say, please give to us and support us and then be done. So, so I've got to find a way to tell you about our ministry but still pour into you and do all of that with ADHD. Okay, so that's the challenge. I was diagnosed a few short years ago with ADHD. Um, uh, My daughter came home from college and from AC and said to me, Dad, you have ADHD. I said, sweetheart, you do not get to diagnose your dad. You don't go, young people don't take this wrong, but I told her, she was about 19. I said, you don't get to go to a college I pay for. Come home to a house I pay for and diagnose your daddy. She's like, Dad, you don't get it. They gave 10 things that characterize an ADHD person, and you got 15 of them. (laughs) So I went to the doctor. doctor went through some tests and stuff. He's like, Stefan, you are so off the chart, ADHD. Um, I said, do do I need medication? And he went, no, you've learned to cope. I didn't know I had to learn to cope. So I've learned to cope over the years, and this is my caffeine, my diet, do my medication. So I want to try to put all this together. You can already tell I'm off track, and my ADAT already take me down another road. So, um, shiny squirrel, hang in there with me, all right? I have a wonderful congregation that's put up with me for nine years. That's why I can't go anywhere else. No one else will take me. You get me one week, and then you can get... Joe back. You'll be so grateful. All right. Uh, let me tell you, have you turn your Bibles in Matthew 14. Uh, let me tell you real quickly about Bruce Outreach Center um, and myself. I am happily married for 32 years. I, I don't know if my wife's been happily married for 32 years, but I've been happily married for 32 years. Um, I married up way, way above my station in life, and uh, she's my best friend. She did not marry a preacher. She married some dude that was going to do social work. And then I was called by God, and she said, I didn't sign on for that, but since I said I do, I guess I have to. Uh, But she's been an incredible pastor's wife. We have a daughter who's 26. Her name is Joanna. Uh, We know she's called JoJo, a wonderful heart um, for God. And we are North American Mission Board missionaries, meaning you all and other churches support what we do at Bruce Outreach Center because the center can't afford to pay a salary to a 
to a pastor. They just can't do it. It's a 118,000 square foot building um, in one of the poorest areas in the entire nation. And uh, first generation Christians, over half the church are first generation Christians, um, learning what it's like to live and walk the walk. Uh, it's hard, but they've done so great in their ministry and their giving. They take care of everything in the ministry of the church. They just can't afford to have someone be there to lead. So it's my role to go out, raise my support. North American Mission Board acknowledges that. They appoint us as missionaries, and wonderful people like you help make what we do possible. So I want to let you know thank you. In all seriousness, it's your partnership that makes what we do actually happen in the mountains of Western Port, Maryland. It's a big deal. So please know you are appreciated and you are prayed for often. Uh, Joe's not kidding. Pastor Joe is absolutely right. We pray for you often. We pray for Joe and Miss Charity often. We pray for this church often. And we pray God richly blesses you and we're grateful for you. All right. Uh, Let me share with you a little bit. Um, I don't ask you for money. That's my strategy. My strategy in raising money is not to ask for it. Uh, My strategy is to ask you to pray for us. Up here is a prayer. If you want to sign up for our prayer letter, prayer cards. Um, uh, I told North American Mission Board, I will not ask anybody for money. I will ask people to pray. I figure if I get enough of God's people praying for us, God will tell them who should give and who should not. North American Mission Board told me I would not survive a year. Six years later, you can see I've been okay. All right? Uh, God has taken care of us because God's people always uh, come through because they're his people. And we're grateful for all of you being part of that. Uh, Bruce Outreach Center is an old high school building. How many of y'all familiar with the old Bruce High School? A few of y'all? Okay. It became the Westmar Middle School for a while in Western Port. Um, the high school moved up to Lona Coning when it was, um, I guess, Westmar High School. It was Valley at one time. Then they went together and became Westmar. Uh, then Westmar closed and joined up to Frostburg here to become uh, Mountain Ridge. When it was Bell, they came together. Our middle school was moved up to the old high school in Lona Coning. And then our building that used to be the high school, used to be the middle school, now became an abandoned building. And uh, they put it up for bid, and I just got done preaching. I thought one of my best sermons, I really did. I thought it was a good sermon series, guys. I was so proud of myself. I was patting myself on the back and everything, you know. All about faith. Faith, faith, faith. I had all the right, I thought I was hitting on all cylinders, Pastor Joe. You ever have a sermon like that? I, was, I thought I was doing good. And then this thing came up for bid, and the people in my church said, we need to go bid on it. And I said, no, we don't. It's too big, too expensive, we're too small and too poor. Man of faith, right? Practice what I preach, right? My people came back to me with my sermon notes. <laughs> now, let me give you a little piece of uh, insight into a preacher's brain. Ready? This is more ADHD, but it still applies, I think. When we look out and see people taking notes, we feel pretty good. Now, you may be just making your grocery list. We don't know. But we're going to think they're taking notes on what I'm saying. We're feeling pretty good. If you end up keeping your sermon notes somewhere in your Bible or somewhere, man, we are honored. Our preaching is now going to, like, survive for generations, right, in someone's Bible. But we never expect someone to come back with our notes to show us how we are not doing what we had preached about. That's something we do not expect. So I came up with a foolproof plan. You're looking at the fool. 
my plan was I was going to put a bid on the building so I can tell my people I'm a man of faith. But I'm going to put such a low bid in it, nobody in their right minds would give it to us. 118,000 square feet. Ton of upkeep, but still a full-size gymnasium. A full-size auditorium on 12 acres of land. I bid $50,000. There's no way you can build a gym for less than a million. No one would give that to us. Three days later, I get a call from the Allegheny County Board of Commissioners saying, Congratulations, Pastor Carr. We unanimously approve your bid for the old. I was like, no. And I, guys, I'm telling you, I swear to you, I feel like I heard God laughing at me. I really did. And, and, and so I pulled up to the building and I thought to myself, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Nine years later, I pull up and I still say, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Or ourselves into? So uh, that's our building. Our purpose, though, guys, in all seriousness, is to use mercy ministries, kind of like your clothing ministry, you know, that, that ministry of reaching people where they are, kind of like um, I tell our, our young Christians, our job is to um, build bridges, pave roads, and hang signs pointing people to Jesus. That's our job. And so we use lots of ministries to pave roads, to build bridges and hang signs, getting people to Jesus. That, that, that's our passion. So we'll use various ministries. Our, our goal is to reach unchurched, unsaved, and de-churched people. That means folks that don't go to church anywhere else. They may not know the Lord. They may know the Lord. They may have been saved and known the Lord since they were young, but they've gotten away from church for years, drifted away. Some things happened. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they made different choices. So, so they know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, then there's others that we know are not born again. They are not. They are struggling. Uh, when I do rec league basketball, 40% of the men that show up to play basketball many times are um, ex-cons and felons. Um, they don't know this person called Jesus, and we have a ball loving on them and building relationships, and, and uh, it's just an incredible thing. So that's our goal. Our goal is to reach unchurched folks. And we do so using ministries like food ministry. Uh, I just did a statistic. One in five kids at Western Port Elementary School goes home on the weekends at risk of having no food at home. One in five in our little area. So we do backpacks of food every weekend. We send food home to all the kids who need it. Then they bring the backpack back on Monday, and we fill it up again on Friday, and we just keep ministering to them. Um, There's clothing ministry. We do multiple basketball ministries. We're a site for Department of Social Services when child protective services, foster care, when when, when parents cannot be visiting with their children that have been removed from the home because of various dangers. They had to have supervised visits. We're a, a, a registered, listed, we're, we're a visit place where they can come to the gym. And it's a central place where we help unify or reunify over time parents and their kids. Um, we have an outreach academy for homeschool ministry. We have a learning center for preschool ministry. Our passion is to develop cycle-breaking apartments for families to have restart. Um, they've gotten things backwards and upside down in their lives. We want to break that cycle of welfare and poverty and rejection of God and turn them around so that they love the Lord. They go from thinking they need the government and not needing God, and when they walk out, they realize that they're the ones who participate in government and they're dependent on God. That, that's that's the goal that we have. So there's all those ministries that happen just so we can tell them about Jesus. All that for one purpose. 
that we now have a platform from which we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So who are you going to go to when you're at your lowest end? Probably the place that takes care of your kids. Probably the place that gives you food. Probably the place that gives you clothing. Probably that place they'll come to. Hence why we have half our church as first-generation Christians. We're blessed. We don't exist without established churches that have been around for a long time because if it wasn't for your love and partnership, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. It's called kingdom work. We do it together, and you're a part of it. So thank you. Matthew 22, let me share with you. I'm sorry, Matthew 14. Where am I at? Matthew 14, yes. We are going to look at Jesus walking on the water. I want to run through this. It's a six-point sermon, Joe. <laughs> I know. See, look on his face. He knows what that means. That usually means three points long enough. Now, these are six mini points, okay? We'll try to keep them down for you so you're not sitting here, you know, looking at your watch and, you know, wanting to get out of here. I get it, all right? Um, so let me run through it. First of all, let's look at the text together. And I'll go through it verse, a few verses at a time. I won't read the whole thing at once. We'll kind of go through it together, Okay. Um, we're going to look at several things, and so let me go through it. Instead of listing the points and everything else, let's just do it together. Let's go on this journey of Jesus walking on the water together. We're going to start in verses 22 to 25. I want you to note the context, all right? I want you to know the context of this miracle. Um, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night or that evening, he was there alone. Your New Testament reading today gives even more context to the time frame that's involved here. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. One translation has many stadia, um, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, just real quick, a few things. If you look at the text and you look at the context leading up to this, Jesus has had a pretty full day and a pretty full couple days. He had just he had been rejected by his own hometown. You imagine being rejected by your own family, rejected by your own people, the people that you think love you and care for you. He's been rejected by them. He's found out John the Baptist has died. Even though Jesus is God, fully God, he's also fully man. He grieved. And John the Baptist, he said at one point, there was no greater man born naturally of a woman than John the Baptist. And he found out John had died he had fed the multitude, which meant he'd been teaching all day long, miracles and teaching and pouring himself out. I don't know about you, Pastor Joe, but when I get done preaching on Sunday mornings, I'm whooped. I can't imagine doing it all day. He's, he was out there all day. And then, and then this miracle of feeding the multitude. He took care of the crowd. He took care of the disciples. Um, he had been through a lot. And now he sends the disciples off and Jesus goes off to take a nap. No, he went off to pray. That's the pretty impressive stuff. You see, Jesus sends away the crowds and he directs the disciples. He puts them in the boat. And then Jesus arrived on the mountainside in the evening, probably the first watch, sunset, probably like around 6 o'clock in the evening. Later we find the boat was a considerable distance from land. It says many stadia, which means probably at least a couple of miles. And this is where, this is around three, between three and six in the morning, that fourth watch of the evening. So literally they had been rowing for nine to 12 hours. And they've only gotten themselves a couple miles away 
from shore. That's how bad the storm was. You see, the Sea of Galilee is only eight miles at its greatest width. They should have been done that in one hour's time. That's how extreme this storm was. They were only a couple miles in, and it was hours later. And they were buffeted. They were tossed. The word Webster's Dictionary defines buffeted means to strike sharply, especially with the hand or cuff, to strike repeatedly, batter the waves, buffeted the shore, to drive, force, move, or attack by, or as if by repeated blows. One after, that's how they felt the waves were constantly hitting them. So that's kind of the context of, of, of all this. Can you imagine doing something? These are professionals here. Something that takes them an hour. They're now eight hours in, nine hours in, and they're not even halfway there. And they're battling. So now I want to go to the character of Jesus. That's the context, all right? Kind of sets the tone a little bit, Okay. Now look at the character of Jesus. I'm still in verses 23 to 25. I'll move from there in a moment. But it's interesting. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He went up there to pray. He prayed when he dismissed them. He stayed praying. And then he came down when they were buffeting nine hours later. So guess how long Jesus had been praying? Yeah, about nine hours. Another passage earlier in the gospel says that the night before he chose his disciples, he was up all night praying. Now, guys, if Yahweh, the Son of God, the God of the universe, needed to pray that much to his Father, how much more do you think we need to be praying to our God? And yet we're really proud of ourselves when we spend 20 minutes and they're really frustrated with God when he doesn't answer us right away. Amen? He wants that relationship with us. Jesus didn't go to get God to give him things. He went to God because he had a relationship with his father. When you have a relationship, you don't have a problem hanging out with the one you have a relationship with. Not when it's healthy. I, can't, I, I leave here today, and I travel to Alabama. I'll be away from my home for a week. I've been married 32 years. I will miss my wife more and more with every passing day because I love my wife. I love spending time with her. I don't go when Leslie says, hey, do you want to watch a movie with me tonight? I don't go, well, I can schedule you for 10 minutes and I'll get the time in there and we'll get, no, I just like hanging out with her and sometimes that turns into two, three, four, five hours and we're just enjoying being together. You see, when you love God, you have a relationship with him, you hang out with him, you're not there saying, I'm gonna put my time in. You enjoy just being with him. That's what he wants with us, my friends. He wants a relationship, amen? That's who he is, that's what he desires from us. So Jesus goes and he prays this entire time, Jesus, is his, he has a history of practicing those spiritual disciplines. He memorized scripture. Remember in the, in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan? Satan came with the scripture and Jesus came with the scripture. Satan came with the scripture. Jesus came with the scripture. Except Jesus knew the scripture better than the enemy did. See, he knew scripture memory. He knew Bible study. He knew about worship. He knew about fasting. He knew about testifying. He knew about prayer. He, he knows all those disciplines. He was a man who practiced the disciplines because he was the son of God, and he was our ultimate example. So, my friends, we see the character. We have this incredible context, and now we have Jesus in the midst of hanging out with his father. Now, notice what's going on. 
The disciples are working hard to survive. Jesus is hanging out praying. Now, some people may say Jesus doesn't care. Like those are somehow mutually exclusive things. It's either or. See, I believe, Pastor Joe, that we can endure and we can experience miracles in our lives when we actually get our priorities right and we spend time with God. How many of us say, I can't spend time with God because I'm too busy today? Right? I mean, we, we, I've heard that about tithing, too. How can I tithe when I don't have enough money? I always tell people, how can you afford not to tithe? I, I say the same thing. How can you afford not to spend time with God? I have found, you want to hear something from a 53-year-old man that's been ministering for 27 years in the ministry? What I've learned? Young people, I'll tell you what I've learned. You can either learn it yourself later or learn from all my bumps and bruises. I've learned that whatever I want God to bless in my life, I put him first. If I want him to bless my time, he's first. If I want him to bless my marriage, he's first. If I want him to bless my finances, he's first. If I want him to bless my health, he's first. I'm not saying God gives you everything you want. Don't hear me say that. What I'm here to tell you is this. If you want God's blessings, put him first. He is a jealous God who does not appreciate being put in second place. But when my daughter puts things I want her to put first, she puts our relationship first, I have a tendency, even at 26 years old, to want to bless her and pour into her. There's something about that love you have for your child. So I want to encourage you. Learn it now, okay? Put them first. God will bless you. So we have the character of Jesus. We have the context here. Now look at the courage of Peter. See, people put Peter down a lot, don't they? Oh, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Peter, you notice he was the only one except for John that was that close to Jesus. <laughs> during that whole process, so he must not have been too bad. Uh, but Jesus is always on the roller coaster, right? I mean, Peter was. At one moment, Jesus says, upon that confession, I will build my church. And the very next text, get behind me, Satan. Boy, poor Peter, he had the, he had the roller coaster ride, right? Peter, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out. He comes out, and then, oops, he starts drowning. I mean, he's all over the place, poor Peter. But give him credit, because I don't know about you, but if I was in that boat, I was not stepping out of it. I may have tried to be bold and say, Jesus, if it's you, call me. And he'd be like, okay, Stephanie, come on. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry, I got a cramp. Uh, I can't quite do that right now, you know. I just ate. I can't get in the water, you know, that kind of thing for at least an hour. You know, I'm going to find a way not to do that. Peter did. Look, listen to these verses. Um, verse 25 to 29. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, it's interesting, Jesus just said, it's me. And then Peter goes, if it's really you, if it's you, call me. Tell me to come out to the water. Come, he said, and Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. See, Peter asked for the invite. Isn't that amazing? He says, Lord, if it's you, call me. Peter gets out, walks on the water. Now, interesting, it says he saw the wind. I was reading one commentary on this, and, and, and I forgot who it was, but the, the guy had an interesting take on it. Um, he had already seen the winds and the waves. He already, like, he knew it was there. Um, one of the theories put out is that, that the enemy or Satan, you know, when he wants to get, get us distracted, he saw the wind. How do you see a wind? 
you see a wind in like a tornado, a cyclone. I'm wondering if he was walking on the water and he was doing really well because he, he, he was doing fine, he, right? Wasn't he doing fine? He had battled it for nine hours, 12 hours, and whatever it was, gets out. He's walking on the, he's, all of a sudden it says he saw the wind. Then he was like, uh-oh. He started to go down. The commentary person said, I wonder if maybe um, there was a cyclone that had developed, something that he saw. That drew his attention away. Don't know that. Just an interesting look. But I find it really um, instructive to us that in Hebrews it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's something that, that is meant to be an intentional focus. Focus in. Intentional. I used to live in Philadelphia. I was raised in Philly. I'm a city boy. And I'm driving down Henry Avenue, which is one of the big thoroughfares there in West Philly. And as I'm going down... I see a cow on the side of the road. I was like, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, when, when scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus, he's, they're not saying rubberneck Jesus. They're saying you literally hone in so you see nothing else. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Because what the enemy will do in your life whenever you start wanting to serve him and you walk out by faith the enemy is going to try to bring something into your life to distract you. Even though you may have handled some big-time things, he was going to bring something maybe a little different, a little unique, to make you question what the calling of God is on your life. He's done it to me. I can give that multiple times to you where I really know that God's called me to something, and then the enemy will bring some kind of distraction to try to draw me away, and my eyes get off of Jesus, and they get onto something else. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Peter tried. He got out. He did well until he saw something to distract him. My daughter used to play basketball. She was a basketball nutcase. She played for Calvary Christian. She played a semester at Allegheny College where it became more of a business than it was a, a something fun. You know, between her junior and senior year, Pastor Joe, she made me. She practiced free throws. She made me go up to her, stand in front of her, and yell and shout and jump up and down and get in her face and do everything I can to distract her while she practiced free throws. Man, I was good. I was creative. Man, I was doing a bunch of stuff to try to get her off, you know, off track. Because she wanted to practice what it would be like in a game where everybody's trying to distract you and you only have one job, hit the free throw. One job. It happened the next season. One second left on the clock. Two free throws. Need to make both or you lose. We're on an opposing court. A Christian school. And I heard more foul language from that Christian school than I heard from anywhere. I mean, they were doing everything they can. They were calling my daughter. I'll probably take some of them outside. Because they were calling my, my daughter names. You don't call my daughter names like that. Or I was getting ticked off, right? My daughter stood there. Net. Net, nothing, because she had practiced fixing her eyes on what the job was, no matter what's going on around us. Guys, practice fixing your eyes on Jesus, no matter what's going on around you. God will bless you for that. All right, let's jump ahead. Number four, conviction by Jesus. Verses 31 and 32. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith... He said, why did you doubt? Because he started to sink. 
And he, he cried out to God. He cried out to Jesus, save me. Jesus reached down, saved him. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. See, Jesus quickly responded. It says he immediately responded. Doesn't that make you all feel blessed that when you cry out to God to save you, he doesn't wait? He will save you. He doesn't play around with that. He saves And Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It was almost like he was telling Peter, you were doing so good. (laughs) You were doing so well. Why did you like stop? Why did you let anything distract? You were doing well. And isn't it interesting? The waves did not stop till they got back in the boat. I wonder what that walk back to the boat was like. I wonder what it was like when Jesus was kind of like had Peter and they're like walking back from that distance on the water, the wave's still going and Jesus like, hey, I got you. You can relax. You can chill out a little bit, Peter. What, what was happening? What was going through your mind? Why, why did you give up? You were doing something. Can you imagine the conversation that must have gone on between Jesus and Peter on the way back to the boat with the storm still going? They get in the boat and the water calms. See, Jesus has a way of doing that with us when we fall. He loves us. Joe, aren't you glad he doesn't just kick us out the first time we mess up? Every once in a while he has to say, hey, you were doing so well. Now, what do we need to do to get you back on that track? What's going on? God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, infinity chances. He is a gracious and faithful God. And then let's move on to the change of the disciples. It says, then those who in the boat worshiped him. Truly, you are the son of God. Now, I'm not going to hang in there in that verse too long. I just want you to understand in that verse that there was another time Jesus calmed the sea. And when he did, they all said this. What manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Now, the second time he does it, they're starting to get it. Jesus must be the son of God. That the wind and the waves obey him. And then the conquest of the gospel, verses 34 to 36. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Now, guys, when you get a chance, you can go to Luke 8, Matthew 8, Mark 5, there is this incredible miracle when Jesus goes to the Gadarenes. This is Gennesaret. He, he comes over, and when he first goes to this place, no one greets him except for two demon-possessed men from the graveyards come to Jesus. This is, remember the account? They said, we, we know who you are, Jesus, They submitted themselves to him, and they said, look, we know you can cast us out. Cast us into those pigs. And they cast them into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff. They died. And and what happened was people went back. They told everyone else, and they came out, and they told Jesus, leave. Even though these two men were completely healed, they were sitting at the feet of Jesus. It said they were fully clothed in the right minds. What a great picture of salvation. We're clothed in his righteousness. We're in our right minds now. Holy Spirit does a work, and we're born again. Um, they say to him, yeah, you need to leave Jesus because that's how we make our money. You're scaring us. One of the men that was healed, pretty much the picture is he grabs a hold of Jesus and begs him. Jesus, please let me go with you. Please let me go with you, Jesus. Please let me go. These people, you know, I don't know the exact words, but can you just picture his heart? Can you hear him saying, Jesus, these people don't like me. 
They, they, they hate us. They think we're like idiots. They think that we're, um, um, we, we're, we have our screws loose in our head. They think something's wrong with us and something was wrong with us. They don't care about it. We want to be with you, Jesus. You heal us. We want to go with you. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. You stay here and you go tell everybody what God's done for you. This is the next time Jesus shows up. Look at the, look at the response he gets. Everybody starts coming. Can we touch your cloak, Jesus? Will you heal us, Jesus? We want to hear what you have to say. They're just rushing to him. What's the difference between the first time when no one greeted him and he was kicked out and the second time when he shows up and everybody wants Jesus? The difference is there were a couple of dudes that got saved who went back and told everybody they knew what God had done, and now people were ready to hear Jesus. Ain't that a trip? It reminds me of the woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well? She was married how many times, and the guy she was living with wasn't her husband, and everybody probably rebuked her, and then she went in and told everybody about who Jesus was, and many people came to faith because of her testimony. You see, the gospel cannot be stopped, my friends. And the cool thing about Jesus is he chooses you and me. I'm going to kind of wrap this up a little bit for us. So I appreciate you being so patient with me. I hope you're being encouraged a little bit. But, but guys, I, I went to this conference once, and it was a wonderful conference. It was a pastor's conference. We pastors need help sometimes. Sorry, Pastor Joe. And, we, we, you know, this, this dude was leading in worship. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought the worship was so powerful, and I was just really moved, and I was in, just felt like I was in the presence of God. And, uh, the guy started to talk a little bit in between the music, playing the music in the background. It was just so moving. And he says, you know, God, you say in Ephesians 2.10, we're your workmanship, we're your masterpiece. God, sometimes I don't feel like a masterpiece. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm much of anything. But, but God, you say in your word, I'm your masterpiece. You know, the scripture says we're his workmanship. But the word for workmanship there can be translated, we're his masterpiece. Created to do good works before time even began, from time beyond, before you were even born. He had plans for your life. That's what scripture says. And, and, and the guy went on, he said, you know, God, you actually designed it in such a way that the only way you are going to accomplish your work is through us. There is no plan B. We are it. And I'm like, oh, God, you're so good. And then he pauses and he goes, God, what in the world were you thinking? How many of y'all ever looked in the mirror and go, God, what were you thinking? You saved me? You, you chose me? You, you called me? I can't tell you guys how many times I look in the mirror and I say, God, there's surely somebody far better than me that you could have chosen. And I really feel God sharing and speaking to my heart and going, yeah, that's why I picked you. Because guess who gets the credit? He does, not us. My friends, God has picked you. If you're born again today, you've received, you've, you've called upon him, you've heard, you've heard him call your name. Your purpose is to go tell somebody. Your purpose is to be an evangelist, a missionary, to your field, to your little area. 
could be your job, your school, um, your neighborhood, your family. Ask God to help you be like the man that was healed by Jesus, where people around you don't want to know nothing about God, but after you get done telling them and ministering to them, they want to know all about God. Wouldn't that be cool? Amen? Can that be our call? Can that be our cry? See, I've got first turn. How many of y'all have been, how many of y'all grew up in saved homes? Okay. Yeah, see, in our church, if I said I grew up in saved homes, there wouldn't be a whole lot of hands going up. And they don't believe, for some reason, brother, they don't believe that God can use them. They're just excited they got saved. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You were saved for a reason. Folks, if you were raised in a Christian home, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a fourth-generation preacher. You were raised in a Christian home for a reason. You've been grounded. You've been rooted. You've been poured into. Now it's time we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Folks, we have this incredible context. We have an incredible character of Jesus. We have the courage of Peter, the conviction by Jesus, the change in the disciples, and the conquest of the gospel. My friends, you may be in a storm today. You may need Jesus to calm that storm. Fix your eyes on him. The author and perfecter of your faith. Let me pray for you. I want to say thank you again for letting me share from God's word. I hope you're encouraged. There's something about that text that just, all the nuances to it, that just are just so cool and just so amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to get to heaven and check out Peter and say, Peter, you got to tell me about those conversations. How many of y'all looking forward to seeing somebody in heaven? Talking to them? You got somebody? You know what I'm looking forward to most in heaven, though, Joe? I'm looking forward to never, ever having or being able to sin again. I'm going to close with what you opened with today. You opened with a song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And Isaiah chapter 6. This wasn't in my notes today. It's my ADHD, but I got to share with you. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is in the throne room of God. Remember the whole thing, and the Lord says, who will go for me, who will, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, send me. But when he was first in there, the angels were singing, flying back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And even... Isaiah said, oh my, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man, unclean lips, people with unclean lips. I can't even be in the presence of God. And it said that after the angels sang that, the foundation of that temple shook. Notice it didn't shake because they say, loving, loving, loving is God Almighty. It didn't shake because it said, gracious, gracious, gracious is God Almighty. It didn't shake because it said, merciful, merciful, merciful is God Almighty. It shook because they said, holy, holy, holy. The cool thing is, it's God's grace and mercy and love that makes it possible for us to be in the presence of such holiness. I hope you know him today. I hope you're serving him today. I hope you're making a difference for the kingdom today. And thank you for partnering with us. God bless these wonderful people. In Jesus' name I pray.
give them a vision, a fresh vision, a fresh, just a, a desire and a heartbeat, God, to just uh, serve you, Lord, whatever that may look like in their life. You call each of us differently and equip us differently. But, Lord, you call us, Lord, so help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond. Bless Mountain City Church like only you can for your sake and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.